0: Anointing, the sacrament of healing and mercy. From a sudden and unprovided death, O Lord, deliver us. What a blessing to receive the sacrament of anointing just before we die. What little time and explanation is given to it in many parishes. Listen carefully to Father Hardin, knowing and understanding will make an infinite difference, heaven or hell. Father Harden. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mother of divine mercy in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our present conference is on anointing, the Sacrament of Healing and Mercy. The Sacrament of Anointing is a new name given by the Second Vatican Council to have been called the Sacrament of extreme unction. As might be expected, all the founders of Protestantism denied, absolutely denied, that Christ instituted this sacrament. And most, they would admit that anointing of the sick was a charism of bodily healing. That is why the Council of Trent in the 16th century issued no less than four infallible declarations defining both Christ's institution of anointing and its threefold purpose of confirming grace, remitting sin, and giving strength to both body and soul of the sick who receive this sacrament? Suppose we see something of what we call the liturgical history of this sacrament. First of all, as Catholics, we believe that Christ himself personally instituted the sacrament of anointing as described by Saint Mark, the apostles quote, anointed with oil many sick people and healed them. Unquote. Mark six thirteen. More specifically, the Apostle James asks, can I quote is anyone among you sick? Let him bring in the priests of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the pure of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he sins, they shall be forgiven him. James chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. I had before me in writing this manuscript the Institutes of John Calvin, pages of the most vicious diatribe against the Catholic Church's interpretation. Of the passage from St. James that we just quoted. In other words, as I've told my Protestant students in the six Protestant divinity schools which I taught, never one class ever on Protestantism. My Jesuit superiors were paid good money for this Jesuit teaching the Protestant candidates for the ministry the Catholic faith, including seven years at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago. The Protestants do not believe that Christ instituted any sacrament. Even when they baptize, they do not believe it is a sacrament. And they surely do not believe that anointing has a sacrament instituted by Jesus Christ. As we know, over the centuries this argument was commonly called extreme unction. Unctio in Latin, unction in La- English. Unctio means anointing. Within then, extreme unction implied that anointing would be given to a person at the point of or near to death. In the liturgy, before the Second Vatican Council, all the senses were to be united. That is, the eyes, the ears, the nostrils, the lips, both hands, And both feet. The words to be used by the priest, which of course I said very often before the Second Vatican Council, were By this holy anointing and His most gracious mercy, may the Lord pardon you whatever sins you have committed. My sight, hearing, smell, taste, speech, touch, and walk. Hey, Amen. For centuries, those had been the words for the administration of unction Now, since the Second Vatican Council... The only senses that need to be anointed are the forehead and the hands. In case of necessity, it can be just the forehead, or, in grave emergency, any part of the body. A literal translation of the word of anointing Now used in the Latin rite. Read. Through this holy anointing. And his most loving mercy. May the Lord assist you. By the grace of the Holy Spirit. So that freed from your sins. He may save you. And in his goodness raise you up. Unquote. Two things especially should be noted in the church's new liturgy 419. Although the term actually may still be used, the stress now is on anointing of the sick, even though they are not in immediate danger of death. Moreover, the new ritual emphasizes the positive benefits of this sacrament. Of course, without denying that anointing does remove sin. It is worth examining without going into too much detail what are the new provisions for the administration of this sacrament. Over the years, in teaching my own Jesuits the theology of the sacraments, I stressed the elements that we are now describing. To begin with, the sickness required for the valid administration of the sacrament of anointing need not be fatal. It should, however, be grave. Again, a major change. Anointing may be given to a person preparing for surgery. If the latter the surgery is for a serious illness. Over the centuries, this had never been allowed. Again, aged people can also be anointed, even if they are not in immediate danger of death. Also young children can receive this sacrament. Only one provision, Uh, they've already reached the age of reason. And this should be obvious. Only a person who is capable of sinning, I repeat, only a person who is capable of sinning can validly receive the sacrament of anointing. On a very practical level, unconscious persons may and should be anointed. Of course, the anointing ought to be expressed conditionally. And the condition here is that the one being anointed had been, first of all, baptized and then presumably had at least a salutary fear of God's penalty with a sincere repentance for past sins. I cannot overstress the importance of the Church's encouraging the anointing of unconscious people, unconscious people whose past is simply unknown to the priest. Among the anointings that I've administered was one being driven from Chicago to an offer for a lecture at the University of Michigan. We came to a place where the police stopped all cars and deterred them. A major accident on the highway. I got out of the car, told the police, I'm a priest. I would like you to take care of and do whatever I can for the people in the accident. I came to the people, six persons, all fatally injured, head-on collision, all unconscious and dying. And um, this is the way we teach priests. A, B, C. In case of emergency, first anoint. Then conditionally baptize. And then give conditional absolution as we give in the sacrament of confession. If the person was baptized, the anointing takes effect. person has not been baptized, then baptized conditionally. And then finally, ye absolution might hear it. The absolution of an unconscious person is not certainly effective. The Church teaches that with certainty there must be some external, sensibly perceptible manifestation of sorrow. To have a person with certitude validly absolved, What about apparently dead people? Should they be anointed? Emphatically, yes. Over the years, I have helped hospital chaplains take their place in a hospital. And depending on the custom, county hospitals at which I have assisted over the years, people brought in apparently dead would not be anointed. My record, is nine anointings in one night. In Charity Hospital in Cleveland, why anoint apparently dead people? Because we now have record of persons who had been apparently dead for as long as eight hours without breathing or any blood circulation, yet they recovered. Consciousness and were restored to health. I repeat, it cannot be overemphasized on how important it is to anoint unconscious or even apparently dead people. Because, as we'll see, there need be no evidence even of life. Still less, no manifestation of sorrow. Anointing takes effect, provided even years before, after having sinned gravely, a person had repented. And the anointing takes effect. The oil to be used should normally be olive oil. And that oil should be specially blessed by a bishop. In Latin, the name of the oil is Olium infirmorum. The oil of the sick. That is why when I want to anoint, I look at the abbreviation, the label on the oil. If it is, oh, I, all human from warm, that's the oil that I need. However, in case of emergency, again, a new provision of the Second Vatican Council. In case of emergency, any vegetable oil may be used and can even be blessed by the priest and not by a bishop. The Catholic Church, especially since Vatican II, encourages the faithful to seek anointing long before they are in imminent danger of death. Also, the Church encourages a concelebrated ceremony of anointing with several priests. Finally, whenever possible, Anointing should be a public ceremony with several, even many of the faithful, participating in the anointing liturgy. Now we ask, what are the dispositions for anointing? What a safe statement, This argument is not well understood by most Catholics. One reason may be that over the centuries the sacrament then of extreme unction was conferred only on persons who were fatally sick or injured and in close danger of death. There is nothing more important decreed by Vatican II than the stress of being anointed long, long before, even years before, there was imminent danger of death. Even more important, and I cannot overemphasize this fact, the sacrament of anointing does not require what we call a perfect condition, sorrow for sin out of love for God. All that a person needs to be validly anointed is the fear of God's just punishments. Of course, the person who is to be united and validly must have been sorry for his or her sins. However, and my only hope is I'll be clear, and you will not forget, because all of us will die. As I've quoted St. Augustine more than once. What shall I call man's life on earth? A living death or a dying life? We began to die the moment we were conceived. Now, for the valid reception of this sacrament... The sorrow for sin may not be present at the time that a person is anointed. The sorrow for sin may go back even years before a person is in danger of death. Only one condition is required. The now sick Maybe dying person must have at least at some time between having gravely sinned and the time of his anointing which can be 10, 20, 30, 40 years. If his anointing is effective, valid, and... Achieves his purpose, even though the sorrow, I repeat, may have been as many as forty years. From the time when a person, having gravely offended God, and now is being united, though many years may have elapsed between the sin and the sorrow. The anointing takes effect. But once more, in teaching priests and priests to be, how I emphasized, be sure to tell the people the only sorrow necessary for the voluntary mission of grave sin is the fear of God's punishments. In other words, it is the same minimal level of sorrow which is necessary, but, and I repeat, I cannot repeat too often, this argument takes effect on a totally, completely, unconscious person. Am I clear? And the person may have been apparently dead. That is why, as I began saying before, in the hospital, I helped out as chaplain will replace the active chaplain in the hospital he would take, say, two or three weeks off. The custom was that during the night, people brought in, our children, by record, was nine anointings one night. Needed to say, I got no sleep that night. And my first anointing was of a young woman shot to the head by the man whom she gave up to begin dating another man. Her first lover decided... I cannot have her, neither will he. When I did, with my left hand, I kept the blood pouring out of her skull. Away from where I was anointing her head, completely unconscious, to all appearances, dead, but I am sure she was still alive. We go on. What are the merciful effects of anointing? As might be expected, the first effect of God's mercy through this sacrament is the removal of both guilt and penalty for sin. Guilt, as we know, is the loss of grace incurred by every sin. That is the Catholic understanding of guilt. If the sin is mortal, then, by definition, the grace which is lost is sanctifying grace or that friendship with God which is necessary for entering heaven. If the sin is venial, then more or less, uh, both sanctifying grace and the title of actual graces are forfeited.